Praise the Lord for the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, hey, open, uh, take your Bibles out and open up with me to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2 is where we will be beginning our time in God's Word this morning. Such a beautiful thought, even just based on that last song, to uh, think that one day every tribe and tongue and nation, uh, maybe even sign language, right, Pro- proclaiming the, the glory of the, the reigning Lamb uh, in heaven together. What, a, what, a, what even a preview of that we had uh, this morning. Praise, praise the Lord uh, for that. Well, Jeremiah chapter 2 is where we will begin our time in God's Word. And uh, this is a... a, a a bittersweet morning for us as the, as the Blakeys. We love you all, and, and this is our last Sunday here, so it's just my great honor to open God's Word uh, with you and to sit under it together. Um, and so we will, we will miss you all. We, we hope we can see some of you back tonight. I know it's a busy time of year, but just know that uh, just from, from Corey and I and our kids, we're so thankful for uh, the way God has worked in our lives uh, during our time here at Lakeside Bible Church and just what we've seen God do for His glory and we love you all, and, and we're going to miss you uh, dreadfully, uh, but we're thankful that we get to keep in touch with, with many of you through social media, and uh, you got a place to stay in California, so if you ever want to come out, just, just let, us, let us know. And uh, so the, our last time in God's Word, I um, wanted to uh, hopefully talk more about this gift that God gave us at Christmas, right? We have, uh, the reason we give gifts at Christmas is because God gave His Son to us, and, and so I think so many times we uh, neglect that gift, and I, and I think there's a great danger in, in the church today and in our hearts uh, that we get more excited about other things than we do about Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, we've talked through this, this passage and this topic uh, with our students, and, and so I'm, I'm thankful that we get to talk about it here in the, in the main service, but I think that we even... Uh, I think a lot of us, we notice the way that people treat Jesus Christ around Christmas time, right? We, we see a lot more talk of Jesus Christ. We, we see that it's socially acceptable to have, you know, mangers and nativity scenes. And uh, many people will go to church in a way that they don't normally do uh, throughout the year. And I, I think that for many of us, that's a, a great joy to just see a time where Jesus Christ is honored as he deserves uh, to be, but I think uh, many of us we we react uh, with sadness uh, that uh, throughout the entire year Jesus Christ is not honored and magnified and talked about and focused upon as he deserves to be, and we even see uh, things that are uh, disturbing to us about how people try to take Jesus Christ out of Christmas, and I'm sure that we've all seen examples of people uh, both doing that and reacting against that uh, recently. But I, I think that in some ways that's almost a metaphor for the way that many people live their life on an ongoing basis, right? That Sunday morning rolls around and, and Jesus is important. He is valued. He is praised. He is sung about. But then for the rest of the week, uh, Jesus is not worshipped and treasured and, and loved, right? We, we can uh, subtly fall into the place where a person can come to church on Sunday and they know the right information about the Lord and about His Word, and there's no blatant sin. If you were to look at their life, you wouldn't necessarily say, well, that person's in unrepentant sin, but there can be the, the case for many people where God is just unimportant to them, where God is not, uh, He doesn't have a weightiness in their, in their life. And, and I think that that is perhaps, as I just continue to 
uh, pray for Lakeside. I'm so thankful for the work that God has done here, and I know that that work is going to continue by His grace. But I think one of the dangers um, that we could face is, is being a people who know the right answers and, and who keep sin kind of under the surface so that it's not visible out there for other people to see, uh, but for us to really love something else more than we love God, right? That we're much far more interested in something here that's a part of this life than we are about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is a great time of year to reflect. I know that many of you will have time off of work. Your schedule might get a little bit more relaxed over the next few days. You might even be taking a vacation, have more time to reflect upon your life and reflect on the upcoming year. Maybe you're even planning right now the way that you're going to be setting goals and getting a journal and crushing 2016 and and things of that nature. And so I even just thought this was a good uh, time for us to focus on this aspect of God's Word that really should cause us to examine our lives and to examine our hearts and to see where we're at. So in Jeremiah chapter 2, if you're there already, we'll be looking at verses 12 and 13 uh, to begin our time. And Jeremiah was the prophet that God sent to his people, the nation of Israel, to speak against them. A very sad chapter in the history of the life of uh, the Israelites, one where they would be judged and carried off into captivity. And even though Jeremiah was there preaching to them, they would not listen or would not Repent, and God is telling Jeremiah what to communicate, and we see this statement that God makes in these two verses that is worth taking notes. Let's read it together. Verse 12 of Jeremiah 2. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Let me just pray as we, as we dive into God's Word. Lord, we want to be those that, Lord, our love for you so far exceeds and surpasses everything else in our lives, that it's clear, Lord, to us and, and to everyone who knows this, God, that we love you, Lord, and we love you uh, not because we are good, but because you have been so good to us. And, Lord, you sent your Son to die for us and, and to take our place and to wash away our sins and to give us new life and And so, Lord, we just pray that, uh, Lord, any competition in our hearts to you would be eradicated, would, Lord, would be cut out of our lives, God, that, Lord, maybe there would even be repentance in the heart uh, of some of us this morning, God, that we would turn away from from seeking after other things and rejoice in you and and all that you are for us in Christ Jesus, God, we pray in your name, amen. Well, this is a shocking verse, right? God himself is talking, and he even calls the heavens to consider this. He says, be appalled, O heavens. Let your jaw drop. It's almost as if God is calling all of creation to bear witness and saying, can you believe this? Can you get a load of this? This is surprising. This is gross. He says, be shocked at this. Be utterly desolate. Like, be laid bare, O heavens. And what is it that is so shocking, that is so outrageous to the Lord, and he says it's this about his people Israel. He says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now here God is using a metaphor to talk about satisfaction. He's saying that my people have stopped being satisfied in me. They have stopped finding their worth in me and who I am for them, and they have looked to 
other things for their happiness, for their meaning, for their fulfillment. And he uses a a very common analogy that people back in the day would have been very familiar with, one of agriculture, one of water management. Now, we live in a day and age where water is something that, uh, by God's grace, we don't think about very often, right? We go to the faucet and we turn on the tap and there it is. And it's a miracle, right? We don't think about all of the infrastructure and all the things that go into simply being able to have the faucet turn on. And sometimes we moan about the water pressure or the water temperature, but really it's a miracle that we've got water. It is, it is a huge blessing. And if you've ever been without water uh, for a period of time, you know what a great blessing that is. But back in uh, the day that Israel lived in, in the nation that God is addressing them, this is not the case, right? They don't have the modern engineering and architecture that we have. And so water was very, very crucial. They very much lived in more of an agricultural society even than, than we do today. And so uh, finding water and getting water and keeping water was very, very important, right? That was the stuff of life, was finding water. And even if you've been to the nation of Israel, you just realize that conserving water and having it available would take some effort and would be something that they would want to plan for. And so uh, in this day, and there's even modern cisterns, but that's not something that we're very familiar with. We can, uh, you know, driving throughout Texas, you see water towers, right? Do you not with the the name of whatever town? I don't even know. Do we have one of those in Montgomery? We've got, they're more like on the ground or or so, but um, water towers. It's the same concept that we have built places where we can store water so that we can use it when we need it. And so uh, the people of Israel, there were definitely streams flowing throughout the nation, but what they would also do is create uh, holes in the ground that they would line with some kind of pitch or tar or something like that, and they would direct either you know a stream to flow into that so it could be conserved or they would pour water into it. So it's basically somewhere that they would store water in. And, and what would happen, though, inevitably with these cisterns is that they would break. At some point, the lining of the bottom, maybe even you've got a lining of uh, a pond on your property here in Texas, right? That when that you know, uh, bottom kind of lining gets punctured or, or broken, if you had a swimming pool and there was a, a crack in the bottom, you would slowly but surely see that water start to leak out of the bottom and the water that was there that was meant to be used and run to in the future is now uh, either diminished or or completely gone and that's what God says is so shocking and so appalling that the people of Israel have done that they have left him the fountain of living waters and they have dug out for themselves cisterns that can hold no water. And I think for us, as we consider our own lives and we consider all that's written about the nation of Israel, uh, this is for our instruction. And so point number one on your notes is I think all of us need to realize that you could be a cistern digger. So first thing that we need to do this morning is realize that you could be a cistern digger, right? You could be uh, doing something very similar to the nation of Israel, right? I think that if any people could say, hey, well, we're, we're God's special people. We have God's favor upon us. It would have been the nation of Israel. And yet, look how they turned away from God, even though he'd been so good to them and provided for them so faithfully and so abundantly. They turned their attention off of him to focus on other things. And in the nation of Israel at this time, there's still sacrifices going on. There's still people celebrating the Passover and doing worship at the the temple, but then there's other things that have come in that have become more important. There's other gods that are in the mix that the people are worshiping, and they're not following 
God's commandment. And that same thing could be happening in your life today. You could be coming to church every Sunday. You could be reading your Bible. Your life isn't a cesspool of open wickedness. But yet in your life, maybe you don't even realize it, but you're, you're digging out places to hold water. And in that day, they would pour water into these, these pits or they would direct streams to flow into these pits. And in the same way, we could be pouring our life into something, some, some uh, activity or some person or some relationship that we are pouring our life into and we think, hey, at one time in the future, I am going to be able to go and to draw from that well or that cistern for happiness and for satisfaction. And so often we find it empty because it's broken, because it can't do what it promises, because it can't deliver. And that's what's happening in our, in our culture today, right? Maybe you, you see this happening. You see this in the lives of other people, that they are pursuing something that they think will satisfy them and will make them happy, and then it, it leaves them empty. It leaves them broken at the end of today. I mean, I even think about our system of retirement in America today. I mean, isn't that kind of the the message that is proclaimed in America is work hard, work hard, save up, save up, save up, and then one day when you retire, you will get to enjoy, right? That you pour your life into this savings, these stocks, these bonds, these mutual funds, and then one day in the future, you're going to be able to go there and draw out from it and live the life you've always dreamed of, and you will be happy. Right, And is that what we see being the case with many retired people? Don't we see many retired people that are sad and bitter and uh, the things that they would like to do with the money that they've saved, they're not even able to do, right? That we, we put off this, this, hey, being satisfied as a result of our earnings into a season of life where we're not able to uh, do many things that we used to do. And many, many older people um, they, they are sad, and it's a sad state, right, that they have thought that, hey, this retirement phase would be the one where I'm happy and free and able to do all the things that will make me happy, and I know many are enjoying it, but uh, there's many that I've talked to that they've realized it doesn't deliver in the way that it promises. I may even think about our culture and the way that we, uh, we idolize athletes, and we think that they live the life that if only I could live a life like them, I would be happy and fulfilled and um, I know uh, Kobe Bryant, who plays on the Los Angeles Lakers, has announced that his, his last year uh, playing basketball. And inevitably, that leads to many comparisons as far as how good was Kobe Bryant in relation to other basketball players. And Michael Jordan is still the best. Sorry, Kobe. But um, that's just the way it is. And I remember reading an article uh, or hearing of an article about Michael Jordan or an interview that was done with him where he, he, he's got so much money and, and is making even more money now than when he played professional sports, uh, but yet says, I'm not happy. I've lost the ability to compete at the highest level, and I would give up all the money that I have in order to be able to go back and be young again and show everyone once and for all that I can be better than Kobe Bryant and and all of these things, right? Uh, That even, even though he is in a spot that is envied by so many in our society today, he's not happy. I heard a a well-known actor once say, that, you know, when you think that once you make it big and you're successful and everybody knows who you are, that that's going to fix you. And, and it doesn't, right? And isn't that why we see so many people that the question is, they had it all. How could this happen? How could they commit suicide? How could they fall into uh, this kind of wickedness or this kind of sin? And it's because the things that we proclaim will satisfy and will 
make you happy. They're, they're broken. They don't hold the water. People spend their whole lives pouring water into them only to have it slowly but surely seep out of the bottom to the point where they go to it later on and there's nothing there. So I want you to think about, even for yourself this morning, if I were to ask you to, to fill in this blank, what would you put in the blank? When I have blank, I'll be happy. right? Or when I have this, I can be satisfied or I can be fulfilled or I feel like, hey, my life has got meaning to it. What is that in your life? Right? What, when you don't have it, sends you into a tailspin or gets you flustered or puts you in a, in a bad sort? What is it that you're really looking to for your fulfillment, for your happiness? And ultimately, if we're putting anything else in that blank besides God himself, that means there's something that has become more important to us than God. God is there as the fountain of living waters, and yet we, we turn away. And, and this is the story with all of us, right? I mean, Romans 3.23 says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that this is not just something that had happened to the Israelites, that in all of our lives we've treated God as unimportant. And, and maybe for many of us, God has redeemed us from that and saved us out of that, but we still battle against a fallen flesh, and this is still a temptation for us today. And so you need to realize this morning that this could be going on. You could be knowing all the correct doctrine and, and showing up every Sunday, but really, how important is God to your satisfaction in your life? Right? Are you going to the fountain and drinking from it regularly and deeply, or are you digging out, even right now, this week, even this Christmas season, a cistern that you're pouring your life into, that you're pouring water into, thinking at some point, this is going to make me happy, right? Maybe it's not today, but there's a point in the future, right? That once I get that job, or once I get that promotion, or once I get married, or once this happens, then I can be fulfilled and be happy, right? We could fall into this ourselves. And I think at this season of our lives, it's good for us to even just sit down and take stock, maybe even get out a notebook or a pen and paper and sit at your kitchen table this week and say, hey, what, what are the potential cisterns in my life. If anything is going to compete with God for the infection of my heart and for my adoration in my life, what's it going to be? What are the things that are appealing to me? And they could be even very, very good things. And I think as God spoke to the nation of Israel, this was not a lighthearted admonition. This was a call to repentance. This was a call to turn away from these cisterns and to return again to the fountain of living waters and, and there were grave consequences for the nation of Israel because they didn't, right? That soon they were attacked and wiped out and sold off into slavery. Even though God sent Jeremiah to proclaim this to them, they didn't heed it. And there was grave consequences in their life. And so maybe even over this next week, you need to sit down with your spouse or sit down with a sibling or with your parents or with a, with a friend and, and talk about this. To talk about this maybe even with your grow group leader to say, hey, when, as you look at my life, are there things that seem to be more important to me than, than the Lord, right? Maybe that I'm not even realizing, maybe that I'm deceived or blinded towards, right? Those would be great conversations for you to have 
this upcoming week. And, and, and so even to help us to, to stir our thoughts about, hey, anything in my life that competes against the Lord, anything that I'm looking to for my satisfaction more than, than the Lord is something I want to eradicate, something I want to turn away from. So what could be a few of these cisterns that we might find in our, in our lives today? If you turn over to Matthew chapter 6, we see one that comes even into focus this time of the year is as there's so much going on, and I, I think there might even be some of you who've heard the phrase, how many shopping days there still are until Christmas, right? We've got only four left. Maybe some of you have even got plans to do some Christmas shopping today or this, uh, this week, and, and even as we've been packing up a moving truck uh, this last week to head out to California, it's just amazing how much stuff we can accumulate, not even... Not even with, uh, with much trying. But in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, that one potential cistern that we've got to watch out for, especially here in America, where we're so blessed, where we have so many uh, conveniences and possessions, is the cistern of possessions. The cistern of possessions, that there are many that think, once I get this, I will be happy. Once I am a homeowner, I will be happy. Or once I move out of my home and upgrade my home, I will be happy. Once I have wood floors, I will be happy. Once I have this car, I will be happy. Once I have the latest iPhone or gadget, or once I have this outfit from this boutique, I will be happy. Once I have these pair of shoes, once I have this vacation home, once I get a boat. I mean, I, we live on Lake Conroe. I need a boat. I mean, once I get a boat, that'll just be the life. I mean, maybe not at this time of year, but for the spring and summer uh, coming up here. Don't want to bust out the wetsuit yet, but you, you know, uh, this, is, this is the way our society works, right? Is we are constantly striving to accumulate possessions and thinking until we have that next thing that's on the horizon, we can't be happy, right? Hey, my current car is not good enough. I have to look forward to that new car, right? This house, it's drafty, it's old. I need a new. I need a new house. My boat, it doesn't have enough horsepower. I need a bigger boat, right? Um, I even think it's, it's just amazing to watch, you know, what, what items uh, get sold out at Christmas time, right? There's usually one kind of toy or something that everybody wants and you can't find it and it's on back order. And January 20th, you could get it, but it's just not Christmas. And, uh, you know, that this year, uh, the pie face game is, has kind of been that. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen the pie face game. But if you want to buy it, good luck. It's not going to happen, right? There's, there's nobody that has it in stock, right? Or once, hey, once we're able to play pie face around the table with our relatives, then that will be, that will be a family celebration. There's some relatives that I want to see get pied in the face by that little hand. That's what, what I want. And, and Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth, that the stuff of this life is not worth treasuring. Don't allow your heart to get wrapped up around Stuff And he says, why? For do not lay, lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, right? That uh, anything we have can be taken away from us, right? From, from thieves or uh, by a downturn in the economy. But even the things that we have, they don't 
last, right? They're, the luster that they have when they are new and fresh and smell like a new car, that fades, right? Uh, when you have kids, the new car smell does not last very long, right? It's, it's great for those first couple days, but then your kids sit in your car and it doesn't smell new and fresh like it, like it, once, it once did, right? That's that's the way things work in our society, right? You're all excited about that, that new technology and that new gadget that you have, and you're right on the cusp, and you're cutting edge, and then three months later, you're outdated, right? And so we've got to have you know, cell phone plans that you, know, you don't want to wait two years. Who wants to wait two years to get a new phone? I want the newest one when it comes out, and so let's give you a plan to do that. That's the way our society works, right? That we can be thinking, maybe even there's some of us that are, that are thinking, hey, once I get that end of the year bonus, I can buy that thing for myself and then I will be happy. That will be a happy new year, right? At, at that point. We've got to watch out for that. I know that many of us uh, uh, live, live uh, very, very gratefully, right? For all that God has given us. Uh, I know many, many of us, God has blessed us above and beyond all that, that we could ask or, or, or think. And I, I think even another passage that if you want to write down, 1 Timothy uh, 6, 7, 17 through, through 20, where, where Paul addresses this, right? Not saying that having something nice or new is bad or, or sinful, but uh, Timothy writes to the rich, he says in verse 17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life, right? That our society and our culture says, once you've got these possessions, once you've got this, once you've achieved the American dream, that is life, that is living, and God says that don't set your hope on riches, don't set your hope on the treasures of this life, but set your hope on God and take hold of that which is truly life. Right? And so you might even in your heart today be, be, be thinking, right? not that it's wrong to look forward to maybe a, a, a new purchase or, or something to enjoy. And, and that's honestly what, what, Paul, what, what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, right? That there are things uh, there are experiences, there are things that uh, can be enjoyed in a good and righteous way, but that's not when our hearts are wrapped up in it. That's, that's not when that's, that's you know, clinging to our, our satisfaction. That we say, if I have this, I can be happy, but if it gets taken away, or if, or if I lose it, or if somebody takes it from me, that then I, I'm, I'm now sad, or I'm, I'm feeling uh, lost or unsatisfied because what I enjoyed is now God, having things or having possessions or money or a savings account is not sin, but setting your hope on it, loving it, making it your treasure, having your heart follow after that is sin. And, and I just want to encourage all of you men to just be guarding your hearts on this, right? That we can, we can uh, subtly fall into the deception of thinking, hey, I've got to put in this many more hours so I can even, even with maybe a, a good goal, if I want to provide for my family, but you can provide for your family and be home with your family. Right, without having to work crazy hours so that you can get a nicer house or a better car or, or you know, provide even nicer things uh, for, for your children. We've got to watch out that, that the possessions that we, we need to live, right, food and clothing and, and shelter and all those things, that those don't start driving our lives, that our satisfaction, our joy isn't wrapped up in that, that it's wrapped up 
in the Lord, right? That maybe some of us, we've been digging that. We've been putting in extra hours so that we can get this possession. We've been pouring our lives into that. And we need to stop pouring our lives into that and return to the fountain and drink deeply and set our satisfaction not on treasures of this life, but on the Lord, right? That he would be our desire, right? Possessions, especially this time of year, that's a cistern that many people are pouring water into thinking, hey, this is going to make me happy. That many children are looking forward to what they're going to unwrap under the tree only to see it break by December 26th, right? I mean, how many parents, how many have you have been there, right? And there's some kind of battery that needs to be replaced and you don't have a screwdriver that opens that screw to, you know, and it's just, we're, it's done, you know, um, uh, moth and rust destroy. Don't set your hope on possessions. Turn over to Psalm 73, and we'll see uh, another cistern that I think is, is prevalent. Is, I was talking about this with the young people. I think that there is one criteria for decision-making that's probably more prevalent in the lives of, of young people today than any other criteria, and that is the criteria of fun, that the cistern of fun and comfort is is prevalent in our society today. I had one professor in college say to me, one of the greatest desires in the human heart is to sit down, right? To be at ease, to have leisure, to have comfort. And in Psalm 73, uh, Asaph is, is being uh, very transparent and honest and talking about the way that he almost began to envy worldly and sinful people in his life. You, we don't have time to read this entire uh, psalm, but he says in verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Verse 3, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Right Now that might not be uh, very uh, advantageous in our society today. Nobody's saying, oh, my body is fat and sleek, and that's a good thing in our society. But back in the day, if you were fat and sleek, that means that you didn't have to work, right? You had other people doing your work for you. You could sit around. You could take your leisure. You could not have to work, right? That there wasn't hard things in your life as there is maybe in the the lives of other people. There are no pangs until death. And even if you look down at verse 12, he said, behold, these are the wicked always at ease, Always at ease, they increase in riches, right? And that, I mean, isn't that the American dream, right? Today is to live the life where you're always at ease. You're always getting to do whatever it is that that you want to do, that your criteria can be what is going to be fun for me to do today, and that is what I will do. And if there are things that are not fun, I don't want to do those things. I will pay people to do those things. I will be fat and sleek and enjoy my my fun, right? And Asaph is sitting there looking around at these other people and he says in verse 13, he says, all in vain I have kept my heart clean and and washed my hands in in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. I'm I'm living for the Lord. I'm, I'm wanting to do what He wants me to do. And that's not always fun. That's not always easy. It's hard. I feel like I've been stricken and rebuked and it's and it's difficult. He says, I, I, I was envious of these people because they're always at ease, right? That they have personal time. Will it be fun? Will it be easy, right? And, and I think that the sad thing in our society today is that many people aren't growing out of that, right? That we see adults who have that same criteria in their life. Husbands who 
uh, really their life is driven by uh, golf or uh, the sport that they want to play or the athletic endeavor that they are training for or the new toys, the new quads, the new uh, you know, things out on my land that I can drive over trees with or knock down trees with or my own entertainment, how many inches of curved ultra high definition screen I can have for myself. And, and the sad thing is, don't we see so many men neglecting their families for their own fun? Right? The, the, their wife has not been loved or cherished or protected or shepherded or, or, or thought of, really, or their kids. Uh, uh, there's a very formal time. There's a, there's a George Banks kind of mentality that I come home and they're perfect and I pat them on the, bed and sen- pat them on the head and send them off to bed and that's my relationship with my kids because I'm, I'm really pursuing my own fun. Right? I'm, all, I'm all about still my own interests and my own my own life, right, or uh, wives who are, you know, just so into their personal time, or girls' nights, or my style, or workout, or, uh, or my shows, or whatever it might be, or my home decoration, my Etsy shop, or whatever it, it might be that it's like, man, my, my husband is not loved or cared for, or uh, my kids are not, not cared for, and, 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 and honestly, we're, we're so thankful that God tells us the truth about this. That's what the American... American dream preaches, like live for fun or, or save up to the point where you can retire and then your life is just fun. You don't have to work any, anymore. And all that leads to verse 16 where Asaph comes to his senses. He says, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. That I was, I was, I was tripping, I was struggling with this, but then I, I went into the sanctuary of God and I I remembered what is true, and and what did I remember? It's verse 18. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. That doesn't sound like fun, right? And and don't we see uh, so many people that are living for their own fun and their own ease that, that soon that's taken away from them, right? That their savings account has been depleted or the oil industry dips and the lifestyle that they were able to live they're no longer able to live because the money isn't flowing in like it used to be flowing in and even if someone is able to live for their own fun and be at ease and have their comfort for the entirety of this life there will come a day where they will meet Jesus Christ and they will be judged and they will be swept away in a moment utterly with terror when they realize that they've lived their life for themselves and they have not lived to serve their king and Lord and master, Jesus Christ. That'll be no fun, right? But that can be a mindset that we slip into, right? That, that really, nothing wrong with having some fun, right? Nothing wrong with doing enjoyable things. But when that becomes what my life is built around, and oh man, I'm, I'm having to work all this week, and that's no fun. And so I am downcast, and my joy has been uh, taken away from me, or I have to work on Christmas Eve, and bah humbug on that and whatever. Um, we've got to watch out that we're not digging a cistern for ourselves. That, hey, when my life is fun, then I will be happy. I mean, even think about most families going on vacation or going to somewhere like Disneyland, right? When we lived in Southern California, we would go to Disneyland and you just see the family and they're dragging their kid along by the arm or by one of those backpacks with a leash. That's what they do in California sometimes. It's sad, right? And the kid is just screaming and you remember... Oh, it's the happiest place on earth, 
right? This is, this is what we paid all this money for, right? Even when we think, oh, well, when we just get on that vacation as a family, then everything will be perfect. And then you get in the minivan or the, the, the you know, expedition, and you're like, this is not as fun as I thought it was going to be. And so now I'm angry and I'm upset and, and it's just that compounding conflict that, hey, I thought this was going to be where I could find the water and I've been saving up for it and planning it and, and I'm going to it to drink and I'm realizing it's dry and dusty at the bottom. Right? That can happen in our hearts, right? The, the cistern of fun or ease. Maybe another cistern is one of control, right? That so many think that, hey, when I'm in control... I'll be happy, right? When things are going the way that I want them to go, I will be happy. Turn over to Psalm 131 and, and just a, a few verses to kind of prime the pump as you're, as you're turning to Psalm 131. But Psalm 135, 6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. First Peter 4, 11 and 5, 11 both say, To Him belong the dominion, the control Right, That when we seek to have control over our lives, we are actually trying to take something that belongs to God for ourselves. Right? And so many people that the holidays are just a, maybe a very stressful uh, time uh, because we don't have control over it. Right? That There's going to be relatives over at my house that I'm not going to be able to control their behavior. They might say something I don't want them to say, or just the hecticness of family activities, or preparing a meal, or whatever it might be, that things aren't going the way I planned, or we're planning some travel, and holiday travel is always very stress-free and uh, easy, and always goes the way that you plan. I'm pretty sure there won't be delays uh, this, this Christmas for you. No, I'm not sure of that. I'm pretty sure there will be delays, right, because we're not in control. We try to get our timetables and our schedules, but then there's things like weather, things that we can't control. And in Psalm 131, I love this psalm, it's, it's of David, and he says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I have to be honest, reading this psalm when I was younger, I, I didn't quite understand it the way that I do after having kids and, and being a parent, right? That when uh, my, my twins were young or when Charlie was young, uh, when they wanted to eat, they wanted to eat, right? I mean, let's just be honest. There is no patience in, in a newborn's life, right? It's like, I want the milk and I want it now. And I will not be satisfied or I will not stop screaming until I get the milk. And I just think about, you know, times where it's like, hey, Corey wants to have one of the the, the kids on her lap, and they are hungry, and they are not going to sit there calmly and quietly on her lap because they want to, they want to eat, right? And, and there's just this fussiness, this agitation that's happened in their life. And, and, and David says, you know, my, uh, my soul is like a weaned child with its mother, right? That now that our kids are older and they're eating solid food with their own two hands, praise the Lord for that, 
um, right? That, that now there's this sweetness about, like, even one of our, our boys' favorite things to do is if, you know, we're putting on one of their, you know, TV shows that they like to watch. We're watching Bubble Guppies or something like that. It's like, let me just, you know, get something and let me sit down on mom and dad's lap. Like, that's their favorite thing to do. It's like, who's sitting with mom? Who's sitting with dad? Sitting on their lap. And there's just this calm and this peacefulness and they just love it. And they're not just going all over the place and agitated and fussy. And that's the way that David compares his soul to. If you're still having trouble getting that, I mean, just think about Lake Conroe. Right? Think about how in the summertime on a Saturday afternoon, if you've driven around and you see Lake Conroe, what is it doing? Right? It's going all over the place. You don't want to go through that middle part with a jet ski in the afternoon on Saturday because you're going all over the place and stuff like that. Right? And then you compare that to like Lake Conroe on like a Monday morning at 6.30. Right? And what does it look like? It's just calm. It's just peaceful. Right? That's the way that David says his soul is, and it is that way for a very specific reason of what he says in verse 1. He says, oh, oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Right? David's, David realizes that the ability to control my own life is something too great and too marvelous for me. That is too high for me. I don't try to put myself in that spot of being in control of my life. And if you've lived for any number of years, aren't you glad that you're not in control of your own life? Praise God, I am not in control of my life because I would mess it up, right? If I was able to pursue and do what I wanted to do, it would be very, very sinful, very, very selfish, right? And that's, that's what happens oftentimes when we want control is it leads us to be controlling, Right? And maybe even the holidays are a time where that, that kind of comes to the surface. That when you're traveling and you start to be an, a very angry person, maybe it's because that you're thinking that, hey, when I'm in control, when everything's going the way that I want it to, then I will be happy. Right? Maybe being in control is more important and more satisfying to you than even God himself is. Right? That you're thinking, no, I, you know, God is great in everything and I, I've got my doctrine but I really want to be the master of my own destiny. I really want to be the one setting the course and setting the direction for my, for my life. Right? But there's this sweetness, right? That picture, like a weaned child with its mother, it's this beautiful thing, right? I mean, I just look over at my wife with, you know, one of our sons on her lap, and I'm just like, that's just precious. It's almost like I'm a man, so I don't do this, but I almost want to say, oh, you know, like I've heard other people do right that there's just this sweetness and that's the joy right that when we say hey i'm not going to be looking to control things for my happiness when i'm going to i'm going to willingly give that up to the lord that there's this peace this sweetness right that unexpected things can come up and, and you're still happy right that that doesn't that doesn't throw you off it doesn't send you into anger and frustration and bitterness. Or a lot of times, you know, if you're bitter or you're frustrated or you're expressing anger or getting short with someone, that's, that's just a reflection of what's going on in your heart, right? That your heart's desire is not being met. I mean, even think about James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Where does all this conflict come, right? It's your desires that are at war within you. You're wanting something and you can't get it, like control, right? I cannot, even if I want to control things, I can't do it. Right? I'm not the Lord. Right? I'm not sovereign. 
I'm not sovereign over my family. I'm not sovereign over my company. I'm not sovereign over my kids, my wife, right? I'm, not, I'm sovereign over nothing. I'm not even sovereign over my own body, right? My own body, right, it does things, right? Or, it, you, you know, I could get sick and not be in control of that, right? But when we give that control to the Lord and we surrender it to him, like, there's a sweetness. There's a satisfaction that comes from drinking from the fountain rather than trying to dig out our own cistern. Are you, are you wanting control? Are you trying to be in control of your husband, of your kids, of your itinerary? Right? Realize that it's good to make plans. It's good to have intentions. But if we're trying to control it and we're thinking, hey, when I'm not in control, I can't be happy. I can't be satisfied. Then we need to repent of that. We need to turn away from that even, even today. Let's, let's look at two more very, very briefly. But if you were to go over to Luke chapter 6, verse 22, uh, just a, a passage maybe we don't think about, don't think about enough. Um, Luke chapter 6, verse 22, where Jesus says, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets, right? When the last person spurned your name as evil, did you obey this verse, right? Did you, did you actually do a jig of joy, right? Because somebody made fun of you because you follow Christ or, or, or excluded you because you follow Christ, but there's another sister I think we look to way, way too often for our satisfaction, and that's approval, right? That we, maybe we don't obey this verse, maybe we don't respond in this way, because what other people think of us is actually really important to us, right? And I, I can't be okay with someone not liking me. I mean, honestly, how could they not like me? I mean, I'm me, right? I don't know if you've thought that way about yourself, right? You could be the nicest, most gracious person, right? But you uh, proclaim a biblical gospel about the fact that there are going to be people who are judged for their sin, and, and you will see people not like you, right? You will see this happen in your, in your life, and oftentimes we don't uh, respond to it this way because we're looking to the approval of other people for our happiness, for our satisfaction, right? That we want people to think of us a certain way. We want people to think high thoughts of us, not low thoughts, high thoughts of us, right? I even think about, uh, you know, some of our young ladies, right? That, hey, the way I look, walking in the door to school, walking in the door on a Sunday morning, that is very, very important to me. I want people to take one glance at me and think, this girl's got it going on, right? This girl is put together. Her outfit is perfect. Her hair is perfect. She's perfect, right? That's what I want, right? I want to I wanna, I wanna constantly be asking people, is there something in my teeth, Right? Because if someone saw something in my teeth, that would just be the end of me. I would be, I would be toast. Right? I want to be stylish. I want people to think I'm stylish, but not too stylish, not too mainstream, a little bit off. I want to be unique. I want to be my own person. Right? For young men, right? am, I, am I muscular enough? Right? Does my hairstyle enough? Am I manly enough? Right? So many of us, we, we look to the approval of our boss or our coworkers, our peers, our colleagues. Right? We want to be well-respected. We want to be thought of, of as being advancing enough within the company. We want notoriety, or as uh, other people think about our family, they want us, they, we want them to think that we are the perfect family, that nothing ever goes wrong. And, and that's why all these social media things are so popular, right? Because we can just share the best picture and delete all the rest. 
right? I can go through those 20 other pictures and discard them, and no one has to know. And only the one at the right angle, you know, with the right lighting, or only the one where all my kids are smiling and happy, we'll post that one on Instagram. But the one where, you know, the boys are fighting and you know, I'm upset, that's not going to make Instagram or anything like that, right? That, you know, even for, for young people, what your parents think of you, right? That I want the approval of my, my parents, right? Maybe I'll even do something spiritual, not because I love Jesus or love the Lord, but because I want my parents to think I'm spiritual. Right? We've got uh, to abandon that cistern in favor of, of knowing what God thinks of us. You know, there's an approval that we should be seeking, right? That, that the fact that Jesus Christ came to die and to live so that we could be acceptable, so that we could be approved by the Lord, so that we could know once and for all what God thinks of us, right? That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that nothing at all will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How good is it that we know what God thinks of us, that he's told us, and it's not going to change because the death of his son is not going to change for us, that we know what God thinks of us. Right? Praise the Lord for that. Right? That when the approval of other people is going to be a very, very fickle thing. I remember when I was in the, the, the fifth grade, I uh, became president of my elementary school. I was elected. And I was elected not because all the fifth graders thought I was cool, but because all the third graders thought I was cool, right? You've got to know your constituency. You've got you to know the people that are getting to the polls. It's the third graders, right? And so, I, you know, I remember walking home that day after winning the presidential election. I mean, with the slogan, like, don't be flaky, vote for Blakey. I mean, how can you not win? I mean, honestly, the name just works, right? And I remember walking home that day just feeling like, oh, man, everybody thinks I'm Cool, and then the next day I realized it's because, you know, all the cool fifth graders got, you know, the vote split between them, and I only won because the third graders voted for me. And my classmates let me know that. And for the rest of the year, I was mocked as the president of uh, Aliso Elementary School in Carpinteria, California. Right? The, you know, that's so fickle, right? That one day I can think, everybody thinks I'm great, and then the very next day it all comes crashing down. But not so with the Lord. Right? Not so, even when I feel like it's not so, because he has said it in his word, based on the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. I know what God thinks of me. And though, even though I already know that, I live my life, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, you could even write that down, that to be pleasing to him. Right? That even though I know I'm already approved, that just makes me want to please him more. That just makes me want to obey him more and do what he commands even more. If you aren't happy and satisfied with knowing what the God of the universe thinks of you, you think that another human being is going to make you happy? You think that someone's approval or someone's high thoughts of you is going to truly satisfy you? It's, it's broken. It's not going to hold the water that you think of. One last one, relationships. Turn to John chapter 4, and we'll end here in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we have this uh, very uh, exciting but at, sad at first account of Jesus interacting with this woman from Samaria at, at, this, at the well, and the sad story of this woman is, uh, you know, in Jesus, uh, they start off having a, you know, sort of a normal conversation, and, and then Jesus turns the corner in verse 16. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. 
I mean, it's a very sad, even if you were to look into the background of this passage, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that maybe this woman is coming to the well at this time of day because she's kind of an outcast in her town and has been spurned by people. And we don't know all the details of the backstory of this woman. We don't know why exactly she's had five husbands. It could be that they've all died, which, you know, if you were husband four or five, you'd probably want to consider that uh, before you marry this there's kind of a pattern here. Um, or, or it could be that this woman was an immoral woman. It seems like she is, is presently in some sort of immorality. And so maybe she was unfaithful and so she was divorced by her husbands. Or maybe her husbands just lost interest in her and cast her aside and, and, and divorced her. Or we're not exactly sure uh, of all of the, uh, the details. But in this In this passage, it's very clear that Jesus just goes right to the heart of what she's seeking her satisfaction in and its relationships. That she is thinking, unless I am married to a man, I will not be happy, right? And maybe I even want that so much that I'm willing to get that relationship through sin, right? That this this, uh, need for relationships or, or, or a husband is so important to me that I am willing to sin to get it, right? Or the, the love of a man, right? Even if I, I don't get his full love, I, I just need that so much that I'd be willing to, to live in sin with this man in order uh, to get it, right? That this, this woman had been digging at the cistern of relationships, right? And there's many young people today that I think are doing the same thing. They're saying, once I get married, then I will be happy. Once I have a husband, once I have a spouse, then I would be happy. Or if only my kids turned out better, then I would be happy. Or, or uh, you know, family can be an idol, right? That we want our kids to be perfect and want our kids to turn out the way we want them. Or unless we have limitless family time, we can be happy. Or what happens when we lose someone that we love very dearly, right? There's grief and there's, there's sorrow, but can I still be satisfied even though God has taken someone away that I would like to still be here? relationships can be a, a cistern. And this woman had built her life. She had dug that well deep and she had run to it again and again and again and found no water, but Jesus offers her hope, right? And, and look, at, look at verses 13 through 15. Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. You guys remember the conversation about, uh, you know, they're talking about they're at the well and Jesus has no water and she's thinking that he's talking about literal physical water and he's just using that as an analogy. And he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. And she's still not getting it. And so Jesus brings her to the point, and he's basically saying that only I am going to satisfy. Right? Here, here's what we need to do. Point number three on our notes is that each and every one of us need to get water from Jesus. Right? Is that you can be satisfied. But it's not going to be found in the things of this life. It's not going to be found in the approval from other people. It's not going to be found in possessions. It's not going to be found in having control over our circumstances. But true joy and true happiness can be found in God. It can be found in Jesus Christ. Right there, You can get to the spot where you are satisfied because you have the only thing that can truly satisfy. And that's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Right? And there are some, maybe even who come to church, and they're still not satisfied, and maybe it's because they haven't truly been born again. 
Right? Maybe this relationship hasn't truly happened. Maybe they, they, they are still holding on to some idol. They've been willing to get rid of maybe the, the worst of things, right, so that people will think of them as a good person. But really on the inside, there's stuff still going down that nobody knows about, right, that I haven't shared with anybody, right, that really what I love is something hidden, something secret, something exposed, that I am not willing to give it up, right? You're not going to find happiness that way. Right? You might find momentary little, little pools in the bottom of the cistern that you can lap at for, for a short period of time, but what's going to happen when the end comes? Right? No one's going to be satisfied who isn't with God in heaven forever. Right? That's where we'll be fully satisfied. In His presence, there is fullness of joy, and it won't, it won't ever fade away. It won't ever stop. It goes on for eternity. That's the water, right? That's the fountain that's flowing with living water. A cistern, you got to pour water into it in order to get out of it. The fountain just keeps flowing on its own. It doesn't stop, right? If, you've got a, if you live near a fountain and that's a, a steady flow of water, you can go to it and drink and drink and drink. And it's always going to be there. You can count on it. And that's the way it is with God for us in Christ Jesus. Right, that he invites us, right? Come, buy without cost. Come, be satisfied. Eat, drink, right? Come, be, be satisfied in the Lord. Even in Psalm 30, 37, 4, right? Delight yourself in the Lord. We're even commanded to be satisfied in God himself. We don't have to thirst. We don't have to keep on going from thing to thing to thing in our life or relationship or relationship to, to, to whatever it is, seeking happiness and always coming up empty at the end of the day. Isn't that a great message of hope that Jesus does satisfy? Amen. Right? Some may be searching, but they haven't really repented of having no other gods before me. That's the most important thing. That's why God says this is so shocking, right? That someone else would worship something. Someone would find such value in something else that they would elevate that to the level of their, of their God. There's some maybe who we've come to church our, our whole lives, but there's still something else that's on the throne of our hearts. There's still something else that, that hasn't been dethroned, right? Maybe we know all the right answers, but we're still living for something else besides Jesus Christ. And if that's it, the, the only hope is, is repentance, right? And, and, the, and the fact that God has sent his son so that, that all of our turning aside from him and seeking after other things, that all of that could be, could be washed away through the blood of of Jesus Christ, right? That, that no amount of good works could do that. Nothing could for sin atone except the blood of Jesus Christ, even as we sang this, this morning. Right? And if that's true, if, if, if you have repented of your sin and you have found the water of Jesus Christ and you are satisfied, keep running to him, right? If you, if you realize, hey, possessions are kind of tugging at my heart a, a, a little bit, start storing up treasures in heaven. Right? Think, set your mind on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, not the things that are on earth. If fun and ease is, is, is ruling your heart, uh, find your satisfaction in him, and then leisure will have its proper place, right? that there will be times where you'll get to enjoy in God's good providence and his sovereignty, times to rest and, and do enjoyable activities, but you'll be just as satisfied when you're back at work after Christmas right? because your satisfaction is in the Lord, if, if having control is really in the ruling spot of your heart, give that to the Lord. Give Him control of your life, and you'll know this peace. You'll know this rest, this comfort that surpasses understanding. That you're like, I don't know why I should be at peace right now, 
but I am because I know who's in control of my life. And I know what he's up to, right? I don't, it's good in a mysterious form. I love, I love that. Right? Or approval, right? Know, know what God thinks of you, right? That if you've been struggling to find your approval in someone, you, you can know what God thinks of you today, right? If you repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ, you will know 100% for sure what God thinks of you. Is that he loves you, right? That he's no, no longer going to condemn you for your sin, that you deserve to be condemned for, but he's adopted you into his family and he's made you his own. Or relationships, realize that a relationship with Jesus is what's truly going to satisfy you. Right? Many blessings through earthly relationships, but none of them will fully satisfy you the way that God will. Right? None of them will be that fountain that is flowing. Right? So find water from Jesus. And our last point this morning is drink deeply. Right? The best way to avoid going to a cistern in the future is to drink deeply from the fountain. Delight yourself from the Lord. And that looks like spending time with God in His Word, of letting His glory be shown to you through the pages of the Bible, right? Of, of, of spending time in prayer, spending time with other godly people where we are focused on God and our joy is being stirred up and stoked together, Right? Spend your life serving Him. Right? If you spend your life serving the Lord, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be challenges, but you will be satisfied. Right? Both now and forever in all God that is for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. So as my, my parting uh, encouragement to you, and even at this time of year where we've got more time to reflect, is is I hope that God fills our hearts with great joy, not in all the stuff of, of this, that there's many good and enjoyable things this time of year, but I, I pray for you. I pray that your joy in Jesus Christ would so far exceed your joy in family time or leisure or presence or, or food or whatever it might be, that it would so far exceed that God would get the glory. Right, that he would be shown to be the satisfying and glorious and good and magnificent God that he is. Let me pray that for us. God, we are so thankful, Lord, that, um, that Lord, you speak the truth. God, even when we want to deceive ourselves, God, and I, uh, Lord, I fear that there would be some in here, Lord, that, uh, God, they, they know about you and they know the information about you and their doctrine is correct, but, God, they love something else. They love something else besides you. And Lord, maybe they have not given that up. Even, even now, Lord, that there is still another God in their life, that they are worshiping, that they are serving, that they are maybe even sinning to protect and to get. And we pray that you would grant them repentance. And we pray that you would cause them to turn away from the cistern so that they could have the great joy of being satisfied in you, the fountain of living waters. And Lord, I pray that as your work continues in this church, God, that, that you would cause us to be more and more in love with you and more and more excited about you, Lord, that we would shine as a bright light, Lord, that your glory would be so magnificent to us, Lord, that you would be so satisfying to us that the people in our community around us would, would know that we worship the true and living God. Lord, who's satisfied, Lord, that we have even inside of us a fountain of living water that is welling up to eternal life. God, that's how good you are, Lord. That's how great you are. So, Lord, I pray that we would not be like the people of Israel, Lord, that we would turn away, 
Lord, that we would repent and that we would know the great joy of living for you and being satisfied in you today. Amen.